Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Dawn. Now, we're in different studios. I think he has this on camera, but we, we're in different studios, so I apologize. It's a little awkward, but we can kind of see each other through our through our glass doors. So I, often, I say this is like we're visiting each other in prison. That's true. <laughs> I've never done that, so, but. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. So talk to me about about your latest piece, Tom. And on a serious note, you know, you, you have, and for me, I'm a Christian. And I always say, you know, when Jesus was up on that cross, he didn't like point down and go, well, I'm not doing this for you <laughs> or you. And and yet in the church, we know that and in the Bible, um, this is controversial. And so as, you know, those in the LGBTQ plus community think about, hey, I, I love church. I love God. I want to be part of the church community. Talk to me a little bit about what's going on. Well, that is true, Dawn. Um, it's a wide and complex issue, mm-hmm. and it's an issue that has grown over the years. Um, I grew up Roman Catholic. I currently go to a Russian Orthodox church because I had problems with the new mass. As a child, I didn't like what developed organically in the Western church. Um, however, I, I have a lot of loyalty to the Catholic church, and I feel at least 30% Catholic, if that makes sense to you. Um, <laughs> I think I realized that I was different in terms of being gay when I was six or seven. And I didn't understand it then. I just thought it was just some, I was just a weird kid. Um, but slowly over time, um, I tried to put that in sync with my religious beliefs. And I was a very religious kid. I wanted to be a monk. I wanted to be a priest. But sexuality was a stumbling block. How can you be a priest? How can you be a monk when you're gay? And I just couldn't couldn't reconcile the two. When I was a younger journalist and living in Boston, I did a lot of reading on the so-called new theology, mm-hmm. how the, the old ways of interpreting scripture, you know, the Old Testament condemnations of homosexuality and St. Paul's views on homosexuality could all be understood in a new light. And so I read this whole new theology, but yet there was a standard theology that would not buckle under the new theology. And for years, I was back and forth with this. And I have to admit that to this day, even though I was a gay activist and a member of the Boston Gay Liberation Front, I'm still not sure that homosexuality is not a sin. I mean, I don't really... I can't be convinced by the secular culture that 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 um, that it's okay to sort of 
um, um, let's put it this way. If I were on my deathbed, I wouldn't call for an LGBTQ counselor. I would call for a priest. So the gay community would not be on my mind if I were on my deathbed. Yeah. So, so I find it fascinating that in the Catholic Church, there are these two organizations, um, Dignity and Courage. Dignity, of course, is gay-affirming. There are a lot of wonderful people in Dignity. I used to go to a Dignity Masses. Courage, on the other hand, is an organization that adheres to traditional church teaching regarding same-sex attraction. Um, My problem with Dignity initially was not the theology, but was how they they sort of changed the masses. They... Mm -hmm. They started introducing, you know, gender-neutral pronouns. They started to have uncanonical so-called women priests celebrate Mass. And it's developed so far a field that today anyone who feels moved by the Spirit can feel called to, like, celebrate Mass. Well, to me, this is just over the moon. And it, it's a complete walk away from anything related to traditional Catholicism. We're talking to Tom Nichols, Philadelphia-based author, journalist, who's um, what author of eight published books, and we'll talk about your latest well, six, one. Sixteen, Don. Sixteen. Actually. I'm sorry, I was looking at something that had eight. Well, what am I saying? Sixteen. <laughs> wow. Um, but as as we you know look at you, and I know that you had told me that you used to live in Center City, and then you moved to um, like the Port Richmond, Fishtown border, Port, Ri- Port Richmond section of Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah. This was about 21 years ago when the rents in Center City were, were starting to really climb. And so a friend really helped engineer my move into this section of Port Richmond and Fishtown. And at first I thought he was crazy because <laughs> for years prior to that, you know, I had read horror stories about Fishtown and what the people there do to gay people, and uh, and I was one of those journalists who manufactured these horror stories. I mean, of course, they were all true then, but I think that they were taken out of context. Once I moved there, I met the most wonderful people, and I discovered that um, there are many, many so-called indigenous working-class gay couples who live quietly in their homes. Mm-hmm. They might not necessarily fly a rainbow flag, and they tend to be very discreet, but there are high numbers. So this was a lesson that I had to learn. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, so I, um, Larry and I have lived in the Chestnut Hill section of Philadelphia for about a little bit longer even than you live there. And I would say, I would say the same. My across the street neighbors or um, our two partners and down the street. And I don't really think of my neighbors as I usually I'm looking at who's fixing up their house. You know what I mean? That's how we define. Oh, they're having this done. I wonder what, you know, who they're using or whatever. But I think you're right. Like we have to stop putting people in these boxes. And I hate it that younger people now, in fact, want to put people in in more of a box than ever. Instead of saying, be who you are, be recognized for your accomplishments. Right. It's more about that identity politics that closes in people. Absolutely. Uh, And this is a problem. I mean, you can even go into areas like ageism where Mm -hmm. like people in their 20s, people 
my age never think about age. Um, I'll talk to anybody, mm-hmm. but people in their 20s are always thinking about age. Why and they're is that? always developing boundary lines yeah. and walls. So, and, you know, and I have to wonder, did I do this as a 20-something? And I probably did, <laughs> you know? So maybe it's karma coming back to bite me in the foot. So, uh, but, you know, like you, I have tremendous problems with identity politics and labels. It's like if you have one conservative viewpoint, you're um, immediately identified as a, um, I don't know, a, a retrograde uh, a fascist <laughs> or, or something. So, yeah, so very wh- distressing. So when people find out that you're, you're, you're conservative yeah. and yet yeah. you're, in, you're in the, and it's not, no longer the LG, it's now the LGBTQ plus community. So when you're in that community and they say, what? You're, you're conservative? What's the matter yeah. with you? It's, you know, I... I I mean, the, the gay movement was so important to me for so many years. I was an activist, column after column after column. I had the first, I guess, gay column in a mainstream straight newspaper, the Welcome Mat, for like years. And so, I, you know, for like a long time, I was on the front lines. And then the gay movement started to change. It, it, it got into the transgender thing, uh, I mean, very, very seriously mm-hmm. until, until presently, it's all about transgender stuff now and gender uh, um, ideology. And uh, 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 to a large degree, I think that the gay movement at this point is really over, that it's all about trans rights and it's become something else. Um, and, it, and it's kind of sad because I, I talk to friends who cannot relate to the movement anymore. I mean, yeah. they won't say this publicly because... Um, you risk a kind of a soft public stoning if if you come out too strong. So, um, you know, this is all said on the down low, and um, right, yeah, it's it's so true. I mean, nobody even thinks about you know the rainbow on the White House or or gay rights. Nobody even talks about it anymore at all. No, I- because it's it's just. Um, Barbara Giddings, who was a famous Philadelphia lesbian leader, once said that it was her wish that um, things could become so normalized that there wouldn't be any use for a gay church or any separate gay organizations, that it would be completely assimilated into the larger society where the gay movement could just disband. And, but that's not happening. It's like n- new issues are being invented all the time. So on one hand, maybe the trans movement has normalized everything else. On the other <laughs> hand, though, I think a movement has been hijacked. By I think a, it has been you hijacked. Know? And, and, I th- and I think that's troublesome. I think of uh, Martina Navratilova, who actually loves Philadelphia. I've seen, you know, I see her every once in a while well, in um, Philadelphia, in the Chestnut Hill section of Philadelphia. She well, visits friends. Her. And when she was speaking out about the fact, for example, that, you know, women in sports cannot compete at any level against men, biological men. We just can't. We, we're the weaker sex when it comes to competing. And she has spoken out about that. And somebody as powerful a voice and, and as, as a talent as far as women's tennis uh, to say what she has said, and she's She's obviously she's in the gay community and the fact that she was just canceled out 
shows you what's going on. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's no room for a diversity of opinions. Yeah. And uh, for instance, um, you know, and, and they do, and they do cancel you out after a fashion. Um, but you know, so many of these issues are just common sense issues, and it really bothers me when I hear the human rights campaign come out and say that there's this new national attack on gay people now uh, because they're banning books for for pre-K children about gender ideology. Mm -hmm. That is not anti-gay. I'm sorry. Um, It is not anti-gay because you object to biological men Mm -hmm. participating in women's sports. That has nothing to do with being gay at all. And this lie is being shoved down our collective throats. And so many people are buying it. It's so, it's so distressing. Um, <laughs> it really is. Yeah. You know, we're talking to Tom Nichols, Philadelphia-based journalist and columnist, who I, I, I know many of you know Tom and read his great work, award-winning. Um, and, and by the way, you know, award-winning for your work on architectural journalism you write for the City Journal, uh, New York Front Page Magazine, author of 16 books, and we'll talk about number 16 just around the corner, which I'm really interested to hear because this was a big Philadelphia crime story that you're you know, delving into, um, which is my wheelhouse definitely as a longtime news reporter, but literary Philadelphia from Mother Divine to the Corner Swami religious cults in Philadelphia and also death in Philadelphia, murder of... Kimberly Ernest. That one was just released in May of 2023. So we'll talk about all of this. Death in Philadelphia, the murder of Kimberly Ernest. Starts out with the body of a young female jogger found at the bottom of a stairwell near Philadelphia's Rittenhouse Square in the early morning hours of November 2nd, 1995. A brutal crime that shocked the city. So the author, award-winning journalist and author Tom Nichols is here. He's an author, a writer who lives in the Fishtown Port Richmond section of the city and also known as a, a conservative commentator as well. So we're returning with uh, Tom. So good to have you here this morning. Thank you, Dawn, for the Absolutely. invite. Absolutely. So tell me about the book. Well, the book was, um, I lived at 21st and Pine which was across the street from the stairwell. And in the early hours, I heard a chorus of voices which woke me up from a sound sleep. It was a terrifying scream of some sort. Uh, I went to work and I came back. And at that point, the body had been discovered. Um, I was a journalist who who covered this case for a, a news magazine called Au Courant. So um, I guess I was on the case early on. But um, I also knew a lot of the principal players. I knew one of Kimberly's friends four months prior to the murder. I had been confronted by one of her killers on, on Pine Street in the early morning. I think he thought that I was looking at him too long. And he approached me, and um, I don't know what I said to sort of tranquilize him and to sort of send him away. But I did it. But when I saw his photo on the front page of the Daily News with the other at then suspect, Herbert Hack, um, I recognized him immediately as Richard Richard Wise. Um, Richard Wise and Herbert Hack were, were also found guilty 
of attacking black men and gay men throughout the city prior to the murder of Kimberly Ernest. So they had, they had a reputation as kind of center city thugs. They were petty car thieves, essentially. Um, so, but I used to see Kimberly Ernest jog since I lived at 21st and Pine. I would see her often jogging down to the river and Schuylkill mm-hmm. River Park, and then she would do a U-turn and come up and jog past the stairwell ironically enough but that morning when i when i was there when they found the body there was no way that i could not follow the case and so of you've covered the city of philadelphia and and this one maybe the reason as opposed to because because certainly i mean that one was 1995 but i think of the late 90s there was the center city rapist who was attacking uh, joggers and, and killing women. So why this one? Was it because of that personal connection that you had seen this particular victim jogging? So it's not about necessarily crime in Philadelphia. It's taking mm. us through the the the, pers- the prosecution, the jury, all of that, what happened in that case. It, it, it just seemed that because I was almost attacked by one of her killers because I used to see her jog. Because I knew one of her boyfriends, who, who was a friend of mine. I did not know it at the time. And I also knew the man that an attorney in Ballackinwood tried to pin the crime on uh, before Richard Weiss and Herbert Hack were acquitted. Um, this story is a Byzantine multi-layer cake of corruption and tragedies. Um, and I say that because... The jury acquitted Richard Wise and Herbert Hack because of the DNA. The DNA did not match. But that was because Kimberly had a boyfriend or a boyfriend. So Mm -hmm. the DNA did not really matter. They were also on drugs. So an attempted rape necessarily would not result in a successful rendezvous that way. And, And I'm sorry to say, at the time... In 1995, there was a problem with the Philadelphia police occasionally forcing confessions out of people. But this is what Richard Wise and Hack claimed, that their confessions were forced, which in this case was a lie. I had interviewed one of the detectives on the case, Tom Augustine, when I went to Fort Lauderdale, and basically... um, Tom told me how he interrogated her, Herbert Hack. So um, the police in this case did their job. Um, another very, very sad thing about this case was that the jury, this was not long after the OJ case. And when I interviewed Kimberly's mother, Dorothy, she told me that in the courtroom, she heard the foreman or somebody from the jury say to the other jurors, we have to reach a verdict faster than OJ. And this jury at the time was also sequestered. They don't do that now because mm-hmm. you can't separate juries from their families yeah. and loved ones. They get antsy. They get crazy. Yeah. They want the trial over with. And this was a bad jury, a bad jury. They did not do Kimberly Ernest justice. And so, so that you have tragedy on top of tragedy. And so... And unfortunately, I was implicated by this attorney in Ballackinwood as hiding evidence because I knew the person that they had accused of 
this crime. So it got very, very ugly. And um, as I explained in the book, just how ugly it got. Yeah. Can you talk about, you know, how it changes a person when you cover? And for this one, you had personal connections to it, but how it stays with you. I mean, it, here you are all these years later, and it's, it has stayed with you, and her murder has stayed with you. Yeah, Dawn, uh, the only thing that I regret is when I heard this chorus of voices before dawn, this horrific scream, I wish that I had gotten up and gone to the kitchen window and looked out. Mm-hmm. But, but I sat up in bed, and because I didn't hear a follow-up scream, I assumed perhaps that they were just drunken pen students. Uh, and so when I didn't hear a follow-up scream, I went back to sleep. But I can tell you that it was a scream that really pierced the soul. It was different than just the hooligan scream in a city street. How have you seen, you know, you write, and I saw one of the um, descriptions about your latest book, Tom, and and you talk about the fact that, that this murder touched the city in such a way. And I think of now on a, on a daily basis. I mean, I start out the morning, six o'clock in the morning, reporting for Kale and Company that 6 a.m. news is usually, it usually is a police blotter from maybe the 12 or 24 hours prior. And now we have so many shootings and killings, and a lot of them tragically are children being victimized. <clears throat> Can you take me through what you've <clears throat> seen in your career as writing, covering Philadelphia, what's happening Police, you mentioned police procedures mm-hmm. and changes in attitude toward police. You know, um, I, I used to dislike the police intensely because I had some very, very bad experiences in the late 70s. You know, picked up twice by a so-called uh, paddy wagon. They don't call them paddy wagons yeah. anymore. But, but once because I was in a gay area talking to somebody. That's it. And once because I had red hair. And they were looking for a red-haired suspect. So the back of the police van was filled with, like, red-haired guys. So we go to the lineup, way, way far away. When it's over, okay, goodbye, um, take yourself home. (laughs) You know what I mean? Things like this. Um, But I've seen since 2020, I think, when I saw the city crumble, when I saw my neighborhood of Fishtown, Port Richmond, ATMs blown up, stores destroyed. Um, sounds of drums in the street, um, bombs going off. And, I mean, this is like no exaggeration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, very scary. And then when I saw the media castigate men in Fishtown who thought that maybe the neighborhood needed help, yeah. and they gathered with baseball bats, I understand these men. This was a dangerous, dangerous time. So... You know, every life is sacred. Um, and, but what I see is some kind of a slow death in the city, uh, both with the, the drug problem, homelessness, things declining, quality everywhere declining. Mm-hmm. In my own neighborhood, the Wawa, which used to be open all night, now closes at 11. The Rite Aid, which used to be open all night, closes at 11. The Dunkin' Donuts now closes at 11. It's like a small town in Idaho, locked up mm-hmm. and, and barred. And, you know, and this is supposed to be the city yeah. that, that never sleeps. Yeah. So, you know, and that's the thing that I think hurts is that when you love the city, we, we have such a beautiful city. 
over the weekend at one point. I was with family. We went to the art museum, um, beautiful exhibits, runners and bikers all around Kelly Drive. And you think about the quality of life and how safe it is. I mean, perfectly safe. And one of my teenage kids, they had a friend whose mom insisted that she would drive and we be, because they're from the suburbs and they, and they're terrified to drive into the city. And, wow. and so it's, as a city, longtime city resident, we're like, no, 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 you're fine. You're safe. But then is it not ironic that then are we part of the problem in the media because we report on what is factual when police are giving out information and suspects and so on. But on the other hand, you don't want to disproportionately report on things because we, we live in this incredible world-class, beautiful city of Philadelphia with so much to do and so much to offer. It's, it's an incredible city in so many ways. And you're right. Um, when you are a city resident for so long, you learn to tweak the bad things and you learn to tweak the violence and you almost have a sense of what neighborhoods are good, mm-hmm. where to go at a certain time. And you just know for the most part that you're safe. I think that when you live in the suburbs, unfortunately you're so detached. Uh, you need the psychic aura of, of city life to have the sense of like, it's not like a war zone per yeah. se. But it can be sometimes in some neighborhoods. And that's the sad part, too, is that these things tend to happen in the same neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. And, and usually at sundown, usually at sundown or after, you know, after hours, but sometimes after school, you know, and that's, well, that's a sad mm-hmm. one, too. That, that's a strange thing because I have a charter school very, very near me. And at three o'clock, I mean, these kids are like an occupying army. They go into <laughs> Wawa, and the security guards are on their heads, uh, like, you know, not knowing what to do. Yeah. And it can be so rambunctious that the school has hired special security to follow the children to the bus stop. This is incredible. They will, like, wait there discreetly on the sidelines for, like, anything to go crazy. So, Yeah. Um, you're right about that. Yeah, that's so true. Well, Tom, I thank you for the conversation. Tom Nichols and talking about your latest book. I mean, it, all of your books are fantastic and obviously some of them award-winning that our audience is very familiar with. But Tom Nichols, thank you so much for uh, you know breaking it all down for us this morning. I really appreciate you. Well, thank you, Don. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 